Hello everyone, Santier here. And Redcode here as well. Today we're going to talk about Visceral and Cerebral. So this topic is about player engagement or interest with the game. Yeah, it's the idea that when your player is engaging with your game, what kind of focus are you driving at? Yeah, what is the manner of their engagement? Uh, so we have basically two sorts of manners of engagement that we have identified. There may be more. Uh, and I'd love to hear about them. But the two that we've identified are visceral engagement and cerebral engagement. When we're talking about visceral, we're referring to, um, or the definition that we've gone with is that it refers to the emotional engagement of the game, the things that you feel during play, and just in general, how they make you feel. More often than not, this is very well linked to the player's immersion in gameplay. Yeah, and we'll give some good examples on this more later. And I think kind of talking about the other one, Cerebral, will help also. So the way that we define Cerebral is that it refers to sort of the intellectual engagement of the game. And so what you do during play, how you do them, and it tends to be a little bit more focused on mechanical design or mechanical aspects. So a good example of a Cerebral engagement would be a puzzle game where you don't have any sort of timers or anything. It's just... Literally a puzzle. Yeah. Like, if you think of a puzzle, you, you buy it in a box, and you open it, and you have all these little pieces, and they fit together, and there's no particular time that you have to get this done with. And the only reason why you're probably interested in it is because you find it intellectually stimulating to try to figure out what piece goes where and all that sort of stuff. That's a cerebral engagement. Yes. And a um, an emotional engagement is the picture. What does the picture make you feel? Or... Um, another thing would be, how does it feel to swing a sword or things like that? Sure. Or sort of the sense of tension that you have, like, ooh, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Or am I going to top deck the right card in this card game I'm playing? Or um, are they going to flip the right card that I can win this hand? Versus saying, what are the odds? And trying to calculate that, that's a different sort of engagement. Yeah. And another really good example is when you see a screenshot if you look at it and say, oh, that's so cool looking, that's a visceral engagement. If you say, I wonder how I get there, that's more of a cerebral engagement. Exactly, exactly. And these can work together. But generally speaking, when you're making a game, you, you kind of have a level that these are all hitting. Yeah. In previous times, I've said visceral versus cerebral. And in thinking about this more, I've realized it's not a scale from one to the other, right? You're not more visceral or more cerebral. It's how much you're engaging in any particular given way. And sort of, you're looking more at the grand ratio of the engagement that yeah. the player's experiencing. And you also kind of have to take in mind what expectations the player has. What is the player expecting from your game? Are they expecting an experience that is cerebrally engaging to them? Or are they expecting one that's viscerally engaging, where they go in for it for the sort of the experience of it. This feels kind of like a weirdly backwards example, but a lot of art house films, people will go to watch not so much for visceral, but for the cerebral engagement of like, what are they doing? What sort of techniques are they employing? What are they trying to accomplish with this, right? Where they're, they're connecting with it in the way that they're thinking about it and mulling it over and analyzing it. Yeah. Um, versus like a blockbuster where it's more of a visceral thing of like, oh, look at how well Captain America's punch hits and oh, look at this moment. Isn't it crazy? And yeah. things like that. 
Oh, yeah. It's like just quickly on the film topic, actually, it makes me think of like a Jackie Chan film. It's a visceral experience because you're watching it because you want to see Chan do what Chan can. You want to see Chan do the stuff and you'll root for him. You'll you'll laugh with him. You'll get all of these emotions while you're watching him go. As opposed to, say, Bridge of Spies, I think, is a good one. Hmm. Um I mean, there's still an emotional hook in that film, but there's an emotional hook in almost every film. Yeah, and that's um, the thing, is you tend to want to engage some amount on both. But you, when you're watching that film, you are engaging with it cerebrally because you're following the plot, and you're following the characters, and, and thinking about the whys of what they're there for, and then also um, getting that realization of that this is a historical story, and then the thoughts that roll off of that. It's something that makes you think more than it makes you feel. Yeah. And it should also be uh, noted that games will propose various amounts of bait, for lack of a better word, of engagement, but players can choose to engage in different ways. Somebody could go to see a James Bond movie with the intention of intellectually analyzing what's going on with the plot. Critics will often be uh, cerebrally engaging with films, actually, yeah, um, is is kind of a really good example that way, where it might be intended to be more of a visceral connection, but they're needing to engage in it cerebrally, and that can be very interesting. You can find interest in a film cerebrally that you maybe aren't enjoying viscerally. Uh, I know that was certainly the case for me with uh, Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, where viscerally it was kind of a flop, but I found it very cerebrally engaging. That's an interesting thing. Uh, I haven't seen the film yet. I'm probably going to wait until DVD, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, or Netflix. But yeah, no, that's a that's an important point, is that that expectation um, that's put forth yeah. is very important because um, I would say that the player starts thinking about your game and engaging with your game before they even touch it. Yeah, and that's going to have a lot to do with marketing. How are you presenting it? You're going to be presenting it as a certain sort of experience. And if they get there and don't have that experience, I'm potently reminded of Bicentennial Man. Yes. With Robin Williams. Yes, that film. I loved that film, but that was not the film that they advertised. Yeah, they advertised a comedy and it's a tragedy. Yeah. Like... It was blatantly lying in the advertisement because they're like, how are we going to convince people that Robin Williams can do a good job in a friggin' serious, serious movie? And I mean, yeah. he's known for, as being a comedian. And so he's typecast and that influenced the movie. And unfortunately for me, I don't know how I would have enjoyed the movie as a, if I was expecting a tragedy, mm -hmm. but I did not get the movie that was promised to me. And that really disappointed me hard. Yeah, like when I got into the film, because I saw the commercials and, you know, the I believe in miracles uh, commercial and stuff like that. And I was like, that's interesting. And then I watching the film I was like, this is this is really serious. Huh. And then it just I mean, it went on from there. It was it's a great film, but it's it's not a comedy. <laughs> No, I think I might have walked out of it because it was so not what I was wanting. Yeah, and that's that's an important thing because you've got to prepare your audience for what they're coming in on. Exactly. Relatedly, you also have to make sure that if you're adjusting one of them, you compensate. Mm -hmm. I don't know why this is what's connecting in my mind after that conversation, but the Devil May Cry games yeah. have a horrible history of having a more cerebrally engaging boss, like final boss that basically drops the visceral down a lot. 
and doesn't really compensate with an adequate increase in cerebral engagement. Mm-hmm. It falls into kind of a topic we've talked about before of the uh, cram bosses or Colossus bosses. Yeah, the uh, cram boss. Plug for the bosses podcast. Hey, um, hey. Look up the number. I don't remember it. But anyway, this sort of drop of visceral engagement because those games are pretty good at visceral engagement otherwise yeah without an adequate rise in cerebral based engagement leads to an experience that is boring all of a sudden because stuff isn't engaging you very well yeah and it's it's really bad when that happens at the last boss too because all throughout the rest of the game you've been building up the player's expectations with each boss battle um and you know this is a theoretical thing but this happens in a lot of games you have this through line of and this is harder than the last battle and this is harder than the last battle the player is building up in their mind oh man that last fight is going to be epic I'm suddenly reminded of Metroid Fusion mm. when you have the fight with SAX and it's super intense, super hard. Yeah. And then you get to that Metroid at your ship when you're trying to escape and yeah. it's completely pales. Yeah. It just, it just kind of dies. <laughs> yeah. It just, just kind of dies, like you said. And it's just like, it feels like it's supposed to be the final boss is this crazy, super powerful, like Metroid thing or X Parasite or whatever it was. I don't remember. It's been a while. But it just is so much less than that previous battle you'd been in. Yeah. And I mean, I know a part of it is, um, and this is something that can come up in a lot of things where you have that hero's journey thing going on where your character's getting like really, really powerful and stuff. Sure. And then in the service of saying the character has reached the pinnacle or, you know, reached that point of success, then uh, it gets mechanically shifted so that that last fight is no longer a challenge. Uh, instead, that last fight is more of a almost a cinematic experience. Yeah, it's actually very interesting to think about. This is a slight tangent, but the rival character as a thing that you battle. Think in DMC or other Devil May Cry games where you fight Virgil. Actually, in all of them, they have... Well, okay, except for two, we don't talk about two. <laughs> um, but Devil May Cry 1 had Nello Angelo who was basically um, another version of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been hinted that he's Virgil. I don't actually remember everything about that. But uh, And in Devil May Cry 3, you have Virgil. Yeah. Um, and if we go even further to Hideki's other work, specifically uh, Bayonetta, this is a theme in those games too, because you have mm-hmm. Sean in uh, Bayonetta 1, and in Bayonetta 2, you have the Lumen Sage. Those fights are absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and they're really intense, and they have a lot to them. Like, even the the Metroid Fusion example, the SAX uh, is basically a Samus clone when she's, like, at her optimum power armor levels, and you're nowhere near equipped, so you have to run from her a bunch. And then you finally are at the spot where you can fight her. Like, that's the true climax Yeah, that it game. is. And it's interesting that the Pokemon games have you fight your rival the entire way through for the most part, mm-hmm. but... So many of them have the rival end before the Elite Four and then a different champion. I think the first games did it right. Where the the champion is your rival. Yeah, where your rival became the champion and now you fight them because that gives the proper send-off to that whole rival thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is such a wild tangent here, but having that rival character be present at the very end of the game rather than right before the end of the game does a lot to connect the sort of emotional through lines of what's going on and helps prevent the final battle from dropping off 
because that rival tends to be the high point of the visceral engagement. Well, it's interesting because that's one of the things that made Devil May Cry 3's ending work so well. Um, Because you had a villain who was going through there and you got a kind of a connection with him. But you were fighting Virgil throughout the entire game. And Mm -hmm. then you got to team up with Virgil to kill the villain. Mm. And then after all of that, Virgil's like, sorry, but I'm still a bad dude. And I still want that freaking amulet that I've been trying to get this entire time. Yeah, it's more like, well, this guy's the bigger threat right now. Yeah, and so then you fight him, and that battle, that battle is a great climax. It's a great climax to that. Yeah, that and they, they put the sort of highest point of visceral engagement yeah. at the proper spot in the game. Yes. And that's something to really kind of think about is how are you balancing out your engagement levels so that the player has something that they're engaging with at each point, and when you have the intensest part, you've built up to it properly. Yeah. It also makes me think of, um, on the cerebral side, specifically things like Professor Layton. Sure. This is a game that's very, very much in that other camp. It's all about intellectual mm-hmm. uh, interaction. But it has that same idea of there's a through line of difficulty um, throughout the game of as you get through it, you are having to figure out increasingly interesting puzzles. Um, and even the lore of the game rolls in this way of where usually the story starts out as just, well, there's a simple incident happening here, but it gets more and more complex as you go along. I think the unwound clock, there was a, a lot of crazy twists along the way as the story just got more and more complicated. So did the puzzles. And, like, I think of the Diabolical Box, which I got to test that thing, so I got to see the last puzzle before ever playing any of the other puzzles. Oh, that sounds like a terrible order. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I am not even prepared to think about this. And uh, imagine if that was just in the middle of the game. Yeah, there's ways that things have meaning, and building up their proper and full meaning, otherwise you're kind of like wasting stuff mm-hmm. yeah well with the with the puzzle in particular you have that issue where it's like you've been building up the player's ability to think about these things and then Kadoosh, there's this wall there's this wall of i don't know how to deal with this that's going to make your player walk out yeah that definitely can when things become too much mm-hmm. where it stops being engagement mm-hmm. and breaks down this can happen with a particularly challenging boss battle as well, where yeah. the emotional engagement goes from like the challenge and starts turning into frustration. Yeah. Because then it's no longer an enjoyable engagement. And so you want to just cut it off. Yeah, that's definitely something in the viscerality area for sure. Because again, you have that buildup. And if you make it so that you're like, all right, I'm getting good, I'm getting good. And then suddenly, bah! this is going to kill you and you actually have to beat this and you have not been prepared for something like this. Yeah. And now I will say that I think the rage quit is a visceral reaction. It is. It is. Um, and I don't think you, if you're rage quitting from a cerebral thing, that's because some other aspect of you has, has taken over. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to think about how you need to make sure to prepare on the cerebral side too. Like there's preparing the emotions. Like, if you have the story out of order in the wrong way, yeah, where it makes it so that way things that have potent meaning haven't had that meaning built up where it's meaningful, yeah, that means you can lose that moment. Like, imagine if Final Fantasy VII started at Eris's death. It's like, Eris died. And you're like, 
who's Eris? Exactly. <laughs> He's like, okay, sure. Um, this is like every video game ever where it's like, person I don't know dies. That makes the main character who knows this person care. But you're like, I don't. Yeah. And well, it's an interesting point because there's, um, I think to the Watchmen, because that's a film that one of the principal characters dies at the beginning and you have no idea why. But it's all about the structuring of it, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, the thing that makes that so interesting is that as you go along, you learn all of these things about this character. That at the beginning you're like, oh, he's just he just died, and I have no idea why I should care. And then as you go along, it's like, oh, 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 he's really important. But but what does it mean? Um, like, yeah, it's a way to make that death cerebrally engaging. Yeah, but definitely with um with Eris, Eris's death was definitely I feel like it was a bit more of a visceral thing in in my sure. opinion. Sure. No, but that's what I'm getting to. Yeah, is yeah. You need to build up to make that meaningful. It's like up. The yeah. beginning of up. Yeah. Where you can't just have an old man who's lost his wife and is super sad about it. It gets the audience to care. And that's that visceral engagement. It's engaging in the audience's emotions. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it makes it a visceral experience rather than a like, okay, why do I care experience? That's exactly what I'm getting at here with visceral needing to have the proper ordering to build things up in the right way. Yeah. That's why you have to make sure that stuff happens at the right spots. Like when you're making a game Mm -hmm. and you have that rival battle, having those battles tend to be the most mechanically interesting battles. They tend to be the most visceral battles. Yeah. And spacing them out properly and making sure that the game ends in a way that you feel like the final battle is a rival type of battle. Yeah. Is a very powerful visceral engagement technique. Most definitely. It's one of those things. uh, It happens a lot too like more than i think it should is that you get to know a lot of things throughout the game and you get to know a bunch of different characters but when you get to the end the the things that you know have already reached their climaxes and then just something completely new and you have no investment in shows up yeah the example that comes to mind right now is star fox adventure yeah <laughs> oh boy that one that one is uh the spotlight on that issue yeah like just you've been playing this game that's basically Legend of Zelda with a foxy main character. Um, and more of a sci-fi trappings. Yeah. Uh, I wanted my blaster so bad. But I, I digress. It was Star Fox as Spaceman Spiff examining a new planet and doing some interesting things. And, you know, you had all that puzzle aspect. You had that Zelda thing. You get to the last boss and you've been waiting for this. You've been waiting for general scales. He's been touted. He's done all sorts of horrible things. Then you get to the fight, and it's so hilarious because you're about to fight him. Yep. And then it says, no. Nope. Andros time. It's like, it's Andros. It's like, but but you weren't, where were you? You were nowhere in this game. (laughs) Oh, they shoehorn him in so hard. And it's just like, (sighs) that was messing up pretty hard on the visceral aspect of things. Not to mention, in some ways, the cerebral, because they could have made Andros... Like, you get some weird point of view stuff, maybe things with him, but mm-hmm. they really could have worked on that to make that a point of cerebral engagement. That's kind of something that highlights the ability of a game to kind of play on both axes, right? There's a lot of games that will do this sort of thing, where there's aspects that are cerebrally engaging and aspects that are viscerally engaging. Dark Souls tends to do this rather masterfully, where you have, how do I open this door? How do I figure out my way through this map to get to this door that says open from the other side? 
Or um, how do I get to that piece of treasure that I see up on a ledge? And you're just trying to figure out how to puzzle things through. But then the combat is very visceral. And sometimes those moments of like, oh, that's how everything connects up can be very viscerally rewarding also. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's other types of games too that do this sort of thing. Uh, we have a term called Upgrade Hunters. Yeah. Um, other people call them Metroidvanias, but that's a little game specific. And the idea with an upgrade hunter is you're hunting upgrades. So you have a lot of that engagement from a cerebral level of now, how do I solve these puzzles of get to this location? Or I just got this new item. Where does it, where do I apply it? Yeah. Can I remember where to apply it and that sort of thing? But then you have these viscerally engaging enemy battles and boss battles and stuff. Yeah, because your cerebral engagement is deciding where you need to go, how you need to get there, and remembering all of those different locales. And your visceral engagement is as you're getting there, you're going to have to deal with things along the way. And it usually is a cerebral experience to get to the location, and then a visceral experience with usually a boss or something. And then you get the new item, which gives you the, oh, so I can do this now. What's my new destination? And the loop continues. Yeah. So I think that overall covers most of what we wanted to say. Uh, just make sure that your engagement levels are high enough. Remember that you're going to set expectations through how you're presenting the game before your players even touch it. You can shoot yourself in the foot this way mm-hmm. with, with poor advertising, like, say, Bicentennial Man. Yep. And if you lower the engagement on one of the scales, you need to make sure that you compensate on the other one. Yeah, that's definitely key. Like, if the overall level of the engagement is at a certain ratio, you want to at least preserve or stay near um, where you're rising to, I guess. Yeah, and just to borrow some terminology from a vernacular's vernacular, you tend to build up visceral stuff with tense obstacles. Cerebrally engaging relaxed obstacles can be a way of providing engagement Mm-hmm. while lowering tension, which can be very important for kind of the game flow and how the player's engaging with things. Most definitely. It's um stop and think moment. Yeah. So with that, I feel like, yeah, we have covered this one, definitely. I'd like to, first off, I haven't done this in any of the others, but I want to tell you guys, thank you for listening to us. Uh, Indeed. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing when you've got people listening to you. I mean, there aren't very many on right now, but... Once in a while, I see of you. Like, thank you. <laughs> In, indeed, thank you very much. And feedback is always welcome. Yeah, as uh, with you listening to us, you're completing the creative circle of you know we make a thing, and then we have somebody take a look at it and appreciate it, and that makes us feel all warm inside. Yep. Thank you very much. And this is Cientier signing off. And this is Redco signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.